3: In my bungalow. <laughs> Hold on to your butt.
4: Well, we're back.
0: Hello, and welcome to the 141st episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we have some news to cover regarding Jurassic World The Exhibition. Of course, a bunch of merchandise to go over, a few Jurassic World mobile apps, and some birthdays to celebrate. After the news, we present episode 18 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Now, last time featured some more dying dinosaurs some trampled vehicles, and a bit of chaos in the control tower. In store for us this week are some awesome tie-ins to Jurassic Park 3 with the introduction of a big bad and some intrigue at the dock. After Extinction Level, I'll give you my thoughts in the after show, wrapping up some of the best moments from Episode 18. Following that, Arjun will give us a quick look at some extinct scenes from Extinction Level. And finally, to round out the episode, we present volume two of The Missing Compies with Justin Kiley. Now, he's going to talk about where he came up with the name for this segment and his podcast, a bit about geothermal power, and bring his co-host Mike the Trike to discuss some of the tone of the books compared to the films. Just a little bit of housekeeping here before we get started. I was on this past week's episode of See Jurassic Right with Stephen Ray Morris. And that was episode 10 of his podcast, talking all about Jurassic Park as well. And this episode, he focused all on Jurassic Park The Ride and Islands of Adventure, the Jurassic Park area down there. I talked a little bit towards the end about... The potential for theme parks and Jurassic Park and what we could potentially look forward to, there's a lot there. There was a great it was a great episode overall with a ton of awesome stories. From people all over the Jurassic community, and uh, I highly suggest going to listen to that. So, download that on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places, wherever you find podcasts, see Jurassic Wright, and uh, visit him on Twitter, SJR Pod, on Instagram, see Jurassic Wright, and uh, he's Stephen Ray Morris, so you'll find him all over the place. But anyway, like I said earlier, we have a packed episode, as I say, every week. So why don't we get this one started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world.
2: 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research.
1: Access rate program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago.
3: I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, we head oh, been
1: right all the time. But today... I guarantee
0: it. First thing here in the news is a bit of information about Jurassic World The Exhibition and where it's debuting next. So if you guys are out in and about near Paris, you guys are in luck because starting April 14th all the way through September 2nd, Jurassic World The Exhibition, the one with all the giant animatronics, the set scenes and all that cool stuff, will be going to the City du Cinema. Uh, or City of Cinema, with a full price of 19.90 Euro. Um, Child price, 11 years and under, would be 15.90 in Euro. Family is two adults and two children, 64.90 in Euro. So uh, you can book that in those 30 minute time slots and this is this is very exciting for everybody overseas you know it, it's been in australia it had two stops in the us and i just keep hearing about people really wanting to view this from all over the world and not getting the chance so if you are anywhere in europe go find us go find this exhibition in paris travel if you have to because you never know if it's going to go somewhere completely different next um, so this might be your only opportunity for the time being. You don't know. This will be open every day at the City of Cinema, uh, seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. So check out the information in our show notes. We have the web page there and uh, some more information. So check that out. Hopefully you can all get out there to Paris and see this exhibition in person. Next up here in the news, we have a few different Jurassic World apps to go over. Uh, what is that? Um, hmm. let me see. Why, why, why is there noise playing? What is?
4: Is it? That's the intro music. That's
0: weird.
2: We've done it about a thousand times with these animals. Uh. uh, uh Got millions of years of instinct in their cells. Instinct that we can program. Herd the animal into a kill zone. That's when we take our shot. Get a clear shot. Wait on my command, and give her everything you got.
3: I hate
4: computers.
1: This new program's incredible.
3: Violence and technology,
4: not good, badfella.
5: Hey, Jurassic fans, and welcome to the Game Trail, the Jurassic Park podcast segment. Where hey, we cover a- all a- the things. A- how what are you do how are you in this news segment right now? What is going on? Dude, it's the game trail, the Jurassic Park Podcast segment, we yeah. cover all things Jurassic Gaming.
0: I know, but but I was in the middle of the news. How
5: Yeah, um, two new apps, right? Yeah. I mean that's what I was gonna talk about, so Well yeah, game trail. It makes all the sense, right? Like we talk about games, it's time for a game trail. I mean I guess I can roll with it, so sure why not? Let's do it. Alright, so this week there were two new apps yeah. announced for uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, one by Mattel and one by Ludia Games. Which one do you want to cover first?
0: Man, I don't know. Which one's the more exciting one? I, I Let's maybe go with the Ludia Games one. Uh, that one, okay. That one's pretty awesome.
5: All right, so the Ludia Games one, it's called Jurassic World Alive, and it's kind of like a Pokemon Go situation where you go about the city and you hunt dinosaurs and uh, you try to capture them, and then you like battle them against other people's dinosaurs. Um, what do you think about this one?
0: Well, um, I guess my history with uh, uh, Pokemon Go was real short-lived. So, I I, got, I'm, I wasn't really a huge Pokemon fan to begin with, but I enjoyed kind of the uh, getting out in the world and kind of finding these things in the wild. And, of course, at that time, all the Jurassic fans were like, oh, we need one with dinosaurs where we can do the same thing. And, uh, you know, I agreed with that. So, I am super excited to kind of get out there and find this stuff and, uh, you know, you know take an adventure and kind of explore things and find some dinosaurs
5: Yeah, I'm really excited um, at you know just at a glance. I don't see exactly how many dinosaurs there are um, I want to say someone said there was like up to a hundred. Yeah, I
0: think I think somebody said that yeah
5: Yeah, um, I don't know like like for me my Pokemon go experience was not lived at all um, One as a kid <laughs> I wasn't into Pokemon I didn't even know they existed until like I was way too old to kind of get started with it Yeah, and then um, Two, uh, in Toronto, like, I don't really have much data on my cell phone, so, like, I can't just walk around aimlessly, um, like, using, using data, like, GPS mining and stuff like that, so, um, while I'm actually really excited for this idea, I'll probably only play it when I come to the States, and then the only problem with that is, I don't live, like, in a giant metropolis in the States, so, I think I might have a difficulty just finding, like, a lot of dinosaurs and DNA samples, uh, we'll have to see, um, I'm definitely going to download it. I'm going to give it a try. But if it ends up killing my data, um, I'll run like a little bit of a data test on it to see what it actually takes. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if this is one that I'll be playing, but I'm glad that fans are getting something like this. Um, other than, you know, it, it's nice to not just have another mobile park builder. Um, and then again, with like battling dinosaurs, I don't know. I've, I've never been a big dinosaur battle fan in games. Me either, yeah. Um, it just it kind of to me like my idea of jurassic park is i like the i like the control aspect of jurassic park not necessarily like the chaos and the fighting and stuff um mm-hmm. but you know a lot of fans do so we'll see how that goes yeah let me um go ahead
0: and read this little summary here uh it says they're alive and in our world dinosaurs have returned to rule the earth they have fled jurassic world on the unstable island of isla nublar and they're roaming free in your cities and neighborhoods. As a brand new member of the Dinosaur Protection Group, your mission is to save dinosaurs from a second extinction. Explore your surrounding area to find your favorite dinosaurs, including new breeds that are more awe-inspiring and terrifying than ever before. Activate augmented reality to interact with these unbelievable creatures in the real world track these magnificent animals with a drone and collect dna samples needed to level up and create uh, create hybrids in your lab then assemble the perfect dinosaur strike team and take on dinosaur dangerous threats in real-time pvp arena battles almost done here Uh, explore your world with location based technology to discover dinosaurs on a map identify behavior patterns to track specific species in their natural habitats Collect rare and powerful breeds by flying a drone. Uh, Heard about this already, it's like repeating itself. Create hybrid creatures, uh, battle strike teams, blah, blah, blah. We heard all that. Earn rewards such as in-game currency and battery life for your drone by finding supply drops on the map and uh, share your stuff with your friends. Um, so, that sounds pretty awesome, um, and it, you know, you don't actually have to get out in the world too, is what I'm under, understanding here, is you can send out a drone to find these things in the app. Not real life, it doesn't like, you don't buy this app and it comes with a drone, that would be kinda sweet too, but, uh, in-game drones that will find dinosaurs or, or DNA samples or whatever for you.
5: Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Go. I mean, it figures, right? They take the exercise like, uh, yeah, portion out of Pokemon Go. That was um, the fun part. Yeah, that, I think that was kind of the thing. But I think this does help for people that maybe don't have like uh, extensive data uh, plans or whatever. They can sit at home on their Wi-Fi and, yeah. and kind of have the same fun. Um, the one thing I'm reading here on uh, Venture Beat is that uh pokemon go generated more than a billion dollars in revenue and you have to imagine that a lot of that comes from in-app purchases so this is going to be an app where you know they're asking you to pay money uh here and there and ludia They've, they've done that in the, their other uh jurassic games as well so i don't think that's gonna be um a thing we can avoid for this one
0: yeah that's always the thing that makes me stop playing those games like i played jurassic world the game and the jurassic park builder game or whatever uh for quite a while but it gets to a point where it, it's almost like impossible to play this stuff without you know staying you know in constant contact with the game and or uh You know buying things like coin packages and whatnot and i I don't i don't want to do that stuff i just want to play the game uh you know update my dinosaurs do whatever i have to do within the app with no extra purchases but uh, i'll play this as long as i could as long as i can here uh it's cool that you're part of the dinosaur protection group which is cool um and i think it's going to be awesome to kind of see these things with the augmented reality
5: yeah that'll be really cool um so let's shift gears over to the mattel app Which got actually released. You can go download this now and check out the content that is currently in there. It's kind of tough since the toys aren't out um, officially in North America yet. Uh, But um, they've got a new app. I think it's called. Is it Jurassic World Dinosaur Facts or something? It's just Jurassic World Facts. Yeah, Jurassic World Facts, which is a really weird title uh, for (laughs) a toy line. Like that that doesn't sell me at all on wanting to download this. um, As far as like just seeing it in in the store because like i don't know it just feels like there's really not much to it but this is almost like a toys to life uh kind of situation where opening up dinosaurs on the app is going to be dependent on you going out and purchasing each toy and scanning um the dna code on I'm, i'm assuming the foot of the toy yeah um what do you think of this one
0: I am, I'm kind of really excited about this and I, I have been playing it, uh, cause there is like a quiz aspect to it. Um, and I've been playing it like crazy. So I've got a, a ton of points. I've almost unlocked all these medals and stuff. Um, I'm really excited about it. Let me, um Read there's a little bit of information here I'll read it. It says okay. over 60 dinosaurs to collect. Scan the marker under the foot of your Mattel Jurassic World dinosaur figure to see the dinosaur see that dinosaur come to life. Collect as many as you can. Hear your dinosaurs roar, stomp and see their iconic moves. Four zones to explore um the different habitats for all these different dinosaurs uh learn fun facts how much does a velociraptor weigh uh what does a t-rex eat every day um and answer trivia questions test your knowledge to earn points and badges a total of 10 rank titles to achieve and you can compete with your friends um which is weird because um i don't think there's any compete settings in here um I'm looking through the app, and there's no way to judge it based off your friends. So I'm assuming it's just like, "Hey, hey, man, hey, Aaron, what's your rank?" <laughs> I guess we just yeah. say it out
5: loud. <laughs> Maybe um, this is the kind of app, though, that is going to be for me. Is like a, a collector uh, with collector mentality, where I like want to finish everything. Oh, it's this gonna takes be horrible. <laughs> yeah, this takes the idea of um, just buying a few of my fav- of the toys that I like out of the Mattel line like the fewer like ones and then like now I'm going to want to get like all of them to unlock. And the thing is, I don't want to cheat. Like, I don't want to like get a photo of your barcode or whatever and 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 put that in. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited for this. I think what the interesting part is, is the Outpost has a whole thing about classic dinosaurs. And I think what's interesting is that it feels like and if I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but if they have a model in the app, or a dinosaur. That means there's going to be a toy that corresponds, correct?
0: That's what I'm understanding. Yeah, and there's okay. quite a bit of toys, but also not enough.
5: Like are we missing a few from what we've seen and then like we've got like extras like classics like raptors from uh, Jurassic Park 3 and the Juvie T-Rex from uh, The Lost World. What's really cool about that is that this kind of gives me a little bit of a feeling that <clears throat> Mattel is treating this like their Star Wars and Yeah. I, th- I think Jurassic Park is gonna be a thing that just every every quarter every two quarters we're gonna get a new line of, of Jurassic toys and it's just gonna go on forever like Star Wars goes
0: yeah I I'm definitely seeing like a, a serious trend here to take it seriously and um, I'm, I'm so excited it, it's 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 a lot to take in and when you scroll through this app you just see the insane amount of dinosaurs um, so that thing that I read said over 60. Um, Looking here, it says all zones. Um, I have zero of 68 dinosaurs currently. So there's 68 dinosaurs um, here, but we also know of things that are coming that aren't on this app. So there's that 68 should go higher. And there's also things that we know are coming that are already talked about that we've seen, you know, at toy fairs and whatnot that aren't on this. So it is very confusing because if you look specifically, you scroll through the carnivores and you look, you got you got the uh, T-Rex here. You only have one T-Rex. And as far as I can tell, each toy has its own, you know, uh, portion in the app. So there's only one adult T-Rex. And we know that there's two. There's the, that, like, uh, I don't know what it, I forget what it's called. The, the one where you throw it around and it's got the swivel neck and all that. And then the other one, the colossal one. So there's two T-Rex right there. And
5: then, well, there's also the the um like the surgery T Rex with all the body parts. Oh yeah, too, that, so. that one
0: too. Yeah, so so yeah. I don't. I'm assuming that one would come into play as well. But in the app, we do have two T Rex, except one's the, you know a, uh, an adult, and the other one's the baby T Rex from the Lost World. It's so crazy. Like so, they're they're revealing things in this app as to what's gonna come, and also not telling us like you know out loud in person. Hey. Expect to see this, but here in the app you can see it right there. So,
5: I mean, awesome. that's just assuming. I mean, that's just with the assumption that each model is going to have a corresponding toy. So we'll yeah. see. Um, that, that's I would, what they're telling us. Like, so, you know, I would like to think that we're at least going to get a continuation of, of dinosaurs as we go. Um, you know, the outpost was showing size comparisons between the Carnotaur and like uh, I forget what they. They sized it up with um, one of the old one of the old Kenner figures, and it was it was right in the in the scale where I want these toys to be. Yeah. Um, the humans again, you know, uh, unavoidable that they're that they're smaller than the Kenner stuff, um, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah. So I don't know. I'm really excited for this one too. Yeah. I, I think it'll be fun to. Boost my collection and then at the same time. Yeah, like I would love to get on the the phone with you and and talk about like, you know, our stats or whatever. Um, Where I think. I I, I mean, personally, I think I would also like a tie in with, you know, some kind of uh, integration with um, Jurassic World Evolution, where if you scan the toy. In uh, somehow that you get like a free skin inside Jurassic World Evolution, but I don't think that the companies are communicating in that way. Um, no, but yeah, that would be not. that would be like that would be like a better version of this to me. <laughs> um, but you know it is what it is. Yeah. So
0: I'm scanning. I'm s- like kind of scrolling through here, and I'm looking at the dinosaurs. And uh, right now I see six Dilophosaurs. So we can, have, you know, essentially have different types of Dilophosaurs. Um, we have the two Indominus, or, uh, not, not Indominus, uh, Indoraptors. So actually really cool backgrounds and stuff. You can actually like hold your thumb down and a flare appears, so you're like striking the flare and um, you can sort of see these dinosaurs. Cause right now, until you unlock them, you can't see them, they're kind of blocked out. Or, or so, right now you can see the two there. Um, and then what do we have, 11 Raptors? Like just normal Raptors, so that's pretty awesome. I I'm trying to see the designs here. It looks like there's like a Jurassic Park 3 design, potentially Lost World design, um, but some other, just some other random ones it looks like, different colors, um, and then we have like three blues, so there's, um, those are separate from the 11, so it's just insane. There's, oh my god, and this one, you you know, I, I knew you would freak out, about eight Gallimimus? How? Why?
5: Eight different ones? gonna have to buy three of each one gonna have <laughs> it's
0: to crazy it's so crazy I, I mean I'm super excited about that that they're paying attention to all these details that everybody wanted um, and we have the one mosasaur we have a aviary here with seven pteranodons um, so and three dimet- uh, dimorphodons and yeah well in the um, uh, uh, where, where was it one of my favorites uh, where'd it go Anyway, it was a Dimetrodon. Like, I'm, I'm excited to have that. Di- uh, is, is that a dinosaur? Or is that just like a reptile? A Dimetrodon? Yeah. I think
5: it's just a... It's, a, it's not technically a dinosaur. Yeah, it's a I, prehistoric I just, reptile. Which, I love that thing, though. It's so cool looking. I love it, and I. but I think that's why it's never been in a... Because that's a very classic. Like, you're in first grade and you learn about dinosaurs and Dimetrodon pops up even though it's not a Dimetrodon. Or even though it's not a dinosaur. Um, I think that's why, though, it's never been in a Jurassic Park movie is because... Don't want to they've all people. they've yeah they've never really wanted to veer away specifically from dinosaurs i know there was rumors at one point that they were going to start doing like oh ice age animals and and other you know other ancient era animals and they've never veered away from dinosaurs i personally appreciate that um i just think that dimetrodon kind of rides that line of yeah well if we if we start going in that direction people are going to start to maybe confer ideas that you know we're moving on and um, I don't think they ever really wanted to give that mixed messaging. However, I would be 100% on board for a Dimetrodon, especially if it was green with yellow spots like the old Kenner toy. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know if you took a deep dive into how this app is portraying the island, but the, the there's a map of, of Nublar, and it has, you know, the different areas. It looks like there's uh, the golf course that we I think is we've seen before on the island. Um, it looks like there's the innovation center with the Mosasaurus pond, the aviary, and then you have a volcano up in the top, but also the old visitor center is on there too, which it has a monorail line connected to it. So I, that's not anything we saw previously in the movie. Um, so I'm wondering, is that supposed to be a monorail line or is that supposed to be like the old um, you know, tour vehicle line? I'm assuming monorail since it kinda, there's no differentiation between the two um but that's just an interesting note
5: <laughs> uh yeah that's kind of weird um but i'm sure it has nothing time, to do
0: with anything but it's just fun to point out
5: yeah at the same time until the movie comes out i don't really know if we can really confirm or deny any of these weird drawings that we've been seeing we've been seeing a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to line up with uh what we know yeah maps, you know, it's kind of getting with this volcano and stuff so i don't know never-
0: pay any attention every everybody that releases their own map is always completely different so it's always fun I just like to look at all the different apps and just or not apps maps and uh, compare the uh, the the, you know different uh, options there and we've got a there's a dock on the west coast uh, no east dock but uh, there's some fun there so um, I've been having fun like I said with the quiz aspect I've almost got all these things I've got here let's let's compare I'm at level Seven dinosaur behaviorist uh, currently halfway through paleontologist about to get that level eight. I have 1480 points, so I, I'm excited to continue. I'm almost a ten and there's only ten So I, I'll be bored of this. I, I mean as soon as uh, I finish these these uh, questions and whatnot the, the quiz is actually pretty difficult for a lot of these things because it, it it's not just the general knowledge. There's actually some really deep facts in there about dinosaurs, some stuff about the movies, not really, um, but um, mostly just dinosaur facts.
5: That sounds cool. I am at a level zero because all I Whoa, do is wow. open it up. <laughs> And uh, all I did was open it. I just uh, scanned through and, and previewed some of the dinosaurs. And then I closed it because on, like this is something I'm, I'm going to want to do once I get the actual toys, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, until there's more of an interaction with it, I think, for me, um, with the toys. That, that I'm sure that I'll dive in. Um, you know, it'll be first page on my phone. So uh, I'm excited for this one. But uh, you want to uh, wrap up this Game Trail episode? I mean, if that's what this is, sure, wrap it up, man. Go ahead,
0: do your thing. Tell everybody where to find you, and uh, I'll get back to the news after that.
5: <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter, at Aaron D. Byer. Uh, you can also look me up on IMDb to check out some of the latest movies I've worked on. Uh, I think as of right now, in theaters, Black Panther, I still, I think is still the most recent thing I've worked on. Uh thor ragnarok comes out on 3d blu-ray uh this week if you want to order it from the uk uh that's where you can get that uh but other than that uh that's it thanks for having me thanks for letting me interrupt
0: all right well uh head to our show notes find all the information where to find aaron and all about these apps Pre-orders are now available for the upcoming Jurassic Expanded Universe novel, The Evolution of Claire, from Tess Sharp. Now, this young adult reader will hit shelves on June 26th via e-readers and hardcover copies. So that's 304 pages of Claire Deering, Jurassic World building, and a bunch of character development waiting for us after the release of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now, currently the prices are listed as 10.99 for a digital copy of that book, and the prices kind of vary for the hardcover edition, going from about $12 and up. Um, and there's also a few options for picking up this book. So depending on which marketplace you you go to, uh, you can go to Indiebound, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Kobo, and iTunes to pick this one up. So if you want, we have an article on our website with all this information, and you can find the link in our show notes. So we've been talking about this next one for a little while now. Factory Entertainment is finally releasing those park gates that they've been mentioning on social media, and I think at, like, a Comic-Con or something like that. The price is going to be $249.99 for this statue that is the park gates and the tour vehicle going through the park gates. Um, Let me read a little bit about it here. We're thrilled to officially announce that our long-awaited Jurassic Park gates environment sculpture is now available for pre-order, just in time for the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park. Like eccentric entrepreneur and founder of the Dinosaur Sanctuary, John Hammond, we spared no expense in producing this highly detailed, 11-inch tall, heavyweight, polystone mixed media, limited edition collectible. Featuring the park vehicle and illuminated flickering torches, this stunning fan favorite tribute will make the perfect addition to your collection, whether a couple of years or 65 million years in the making. So that's a nice little detail that I didn't know about before. The flickering lights, it does require two AA batteries that are not included. So if this is something that's up your alley, check out the pictures in our show notes and you'll also find the link there to pre-order this. Check it out. See if this is something you're going to order and let us know. We have another update here from Iron Studios and Chronicle Collectibles. Now, I'm sure you guys have all seen the Iron Studios stuff that was debuting at one of those Comic Cons as well. Uh, It was the giant uh, T-Rex breakout scene with the, I think, two tour vehicles, Ian and Grant and the Rex, uh, shrubbery and all kinds of stuff, the fence. Um, Well, this time uh, Chronicle Collectibles, if you didn't hear, is kind of distributing uh, the Iron Studios stuff in the US. Um, and uh, North America, I guess, in general. It looks like they're gonna be distributing the T-Rex alone so far. It's a 110 scale Jurassic Park statue. Um, Pre-orders, I guess, have gone live already, Um, just reading their announcement here on Facebook. Um, It looks like it's limited edition, based on original references from the movie, made in polystone, hand-painted, includes the display base, measures approximately 17.5 inches high and 33.5 inches long. Crazy. Um, Now the price of this thing is $649.99. It's a nice looking piece and like I said, it's available in the US and other select territories. So if you want more information about this one, check out our show notes. If you've been paying attention to the Dinosaur Protection Group, there has been another update on their website. After that video that posted last week, we now have a little bit of information about Claire Deering and her transformation from capitalist to naturalist in just four years. She, uh, or this article talks a lot about... um, the disaster of jurassic world and kind of her transformation and talking about how ms ronnie global the company kind of views these dinosaurs as essentially just creations that are not natural and all that stuff and how her uh, claire and the dpg feel a lot differently than them and uh, what they plan to do here so there's an awesome article on there i'm going to post a picture From that article, there's actually like a cool newspaper from the National Science Observer. So you can kind of read it from that if you want to feel like it's legit, like it's an actual newspaper. Or you can actually just read um, that. And I think there's actually a little bit more maybe than was in the article too. So you'll have to read that too. But uh, it's a great thing, great piece that expands the world. Uh, I won't dive too deep obviously into it because this stuff takes a lot, man. I I really got to sit down read all this stuff, have somebody here with me to discuss it because you guys don't want to hear just me talk about it. That'd be boring. And that's to assume you're not currently bored several minutes into this podcast, but that's besides the point. Head to our show notes to find a link to the Dinosaur Protection Group to check out this article. So this week we have a few birthdays to celebrate. So why don't we start here with William H. Macy from Jurassic Park 3. Of course you know him as Paul Kirby. His birthday is Tuesday, March 12th. And then on Thursday, March 15th, we have Brian T. from Jurassic World and you guys know him as Hamada. He didn't make it out uh, as easily as uh, William H. Macy did. So happy birthday to both these guys and uh, make sure to reach out to them on social media find them on the street and just say happy birthday. Oh, there it is. There it is. And now, episode 18 of Extinction Level
1: Jurassic Park. Previously on Extinction Level Jurassic Park.
3: How are we doing, Jerry?
5: We're losing them, Henry. I've got these new test samples of a new formula. Can you administer them to the animals? I'll go check on Raymond. Raymond, you don't look so good. It just came from Ryan. He's not doing that much better.
4: Groceries, Christy.
5: It can't be. Easy, Raymond. It'll be all right.
4: I just need to check something. I guess we'll follow the biggest group in the direction of the aviary. Damn creatures.
1: I think you shouldn't have spooked those. rain cows.
4: Don't get smart. Get in the back. We're moving.
0: Good morning. What did I miss? Mr. Mizrani left a half an hour ago for the harbor. We've been trying to reach him, and as well as the security detail out there looking for our visitors. Why would you be trying to reach the boss? We
1: received a call from the United States Navy Captain.
0: Something about an outbreak? I don't know anything about these dinosaurs carrying diseases. Well, the US Navy thinks they do, and they want us off, so they can destroy the island. Get Masrani back! We're trying. I can give you the captain of the supply
1: ship, which would take Mr. Masrani. Do. That. Episode 18 Prevailing Over Obstacles In a harbour on Isla Sorna, the crew of a supply ship is unloading crates onto the docks, moved from a stack next to the ship by a small forklift truck to a warehouse at the beginning of the docks. As the operator of the forklift drives from the fortified warehouse back to the docks where the crane operator yells from the ship's deck down to another dock worker waiting there for the crates to come down.
0: This is the last one! Hold on! All
1: right! Three more crates with engine stencil on the sides are lifted from the deck to be moved onto the docks. All three men are wearing yellow Jurassic Park safety helmets. The forklift operator just picked up two more boxes stacked on the dock and drives back to move the crates to the warehouse. Then he notices something appearing from the jungle and he stops. Leaning back with his arm over the side of the machine, he looks back at his co-worker on the dock.
2: Hey, <laughs> Bobby! Get a load
1: of that. Points to where the road leads into the jungle. From the jungle down the road comes a golf cart type of vehicle, driven by Simon Masrani, bumping in their direction over the uneven road. The dock worker starts laughing.
0: <laughs> There's something you don't see around here every
1: day. I guess he just finished at the golf course. From the ship, the crane operator shouts aloud. You, down below, watch out! The three crates are coming down towards the dock worker, and just in time, the dock worker steps aside to take hold of the load and guide it down onto the docks. The forklift operator also turns back to his job, driving the small truck to the warehouse where Simon Masrani is parking his golf cart. Morning,
3: sir. Nice ride.
1: A little grumpy, Simon Masarani gets out, stumbling.
3: All I could get to get me to this place.
1: Then he changes his mood, seeing the humor of the situation.
3: Guess.
0: It must have looked pretty funny.
1: Then, quoting Columbus,
0: Well, by prevailing over all obstacles and distractions, one may unfailingly arrive at his chosen destination.
1: Masrani walks past the workers.
0: And a good day to you too.
1: And Masrani gets onto the ship, wishing each of them a good morning to the crate operator he finally asks.
0: Can you let the captain know I'm on board? The sooner we can
3: depart, the better. Will do, sir. Where can I find the mess hall? Through there. B-Deck. You can't miss it.
1: Welcome on board, sir. Osrani acknowledges the welcoming with a nod and moves to the door, to which the crane operator had pointed. At the same time on the bridge of the ship, the captain is in having conversation on the radio, talking to the control tower.
2: Yes, I received that message too, but frankly, I don't give a rat. We'll be long gone before they arrive here. I don't believe so. No, I'm not going to waste his
1: time on their bluff. Handle it. That's what he assigned you for, didn't he?
2: Yeah, and a good day to you.
1: The captain hangs up the horn, very much annoyed, talking to himself. Bloody hell, what an idiot. Then at the door of the bridge, the crane operator appears, leaning in. Captain? we finished unloading and Mr. Masrani just arrived on board, waiting on B. So we're done and ready to go. Great, prepare the ship
2: so we can go. We'd better not stay too
1: long. Aye aye, captain. The operator leaves the bridge to prepare for departure. In the jungle on Sorna, the two Humvees carrying Sarah, Tim, Vic and his team are standing still on the road with an opening to a field up ahead. The air is filled with a large animals roaring.
3: Is that a tyrannosaurus? It sounds different.
1: Tim, hardly able to speak, slowly shakes his head. Yes, different, the ground starts shaking. Vic Hoskins leans back from the passenger seat and looks at Sarah. That, my friends,
4: out there in the field ahead, I'd say it is Dr. Wu's wonderful new creation, the Spinosaurus.
3: Why is it roaring like that? I'll
4: bet you found our visitor
1: friends here. Go! They drive on slowly into the clearing. At the same moment, the Spinosaurus smashes through a metal fence and immediately Laura stops the car again. Did you see that? Fence? It's mashed right through. That's a new dinosaur. I thought. But it's huge.
4: Yeah, three years old. Amazing what those engine-growth spurt genes can do, right? 18 months, it should be fully grown. I raised it, you know, till it got big enough, ready to find its own way.
1: There, our visitors, going into that building. That building is not going to hold. At that remark, they are passed by the other car, going for the animal. Only the driver, guard Dennis, is still in the car. The other three guards had gotten out and are now climbing in the back transport area of fixed car. Guard Bob would just got in nose. Alright, you better move us back. We don't want the attention of the spinosaurus drawn to us. The other car drives for the attention of the animal.
4: Dennis has a plan.
1: Laura puts the guard in reverse and silently drives back into the cover of the jungle. In the meantime, guard Dennis jumped out of the car, going for the animal near the jungle line and he rolled himself quickly into the cover of the jungle, leaving the car rolling on towards the animal. Just as the visitors entered the building and closed the door behind them, the animal spots the car rolling for it, turning its head towards the car. Rolling now in front of the beast, the car comes to a halt at the door of the building, bumping against it. From the cover of the jungle, they look at the spinosaurus as it's smelling at the car and nudging it against the building. Distracted and disappointed by the empty car, the Spinosaurus howls shortly and looks around. From their left, Cartanus comes out of the jungle, covered by the bushes from the side of the Spinosaurus. He walks towards the remaining car, now carrying all the guards, and Huskis addresses him.
4: That was a lucky shot you took. Get in.
1: You know he paid for the damage of that car, right? At the building they see the Spinosaurus walk off in disappointment, in the opposite direction, away from them.
3: Now can somebody tell me
0: what that fence is doing here? Supposed to keep that thing on the other side of the island.
1: Well, it's not doing such a great job then. We never finished it. Once we found out the animal just crossed the river, or ran through the deeper parts of the ocean, we gave up. What is that building they entered?
2: The Aviary Peak entrance and maintenance.
1: Let's wait a while, and be
4: sure that thing's gone, then we'll go after them. I bet you they come out that door again anyway. The crossings built within are bad half-finished and broken. I doubt they cross it. They're probably just waiting inside too.
1: At the enclosed worker village in his small lab, Henry Wu is on his own, testing the blood of Raymond. He prepared a slide and puts it under a microscope, then looking through the lens.
4: Okay, Raymond, let's see.
1: The image shows pink, full with small black needle-like shapes.
2: Oh
4: my...
1: In this episode you heard some new voices, namely Garrett Grady-Brown as the crane operator, Chris Beaven as the dock worker, Richie Hoggett as the forklift operator, and the JHN Files John T. as the supply ship captain. And also the voices of Hammond Mishra as Masrani, Jennifer Tarek as Sarah Harding, myself as Tim Murphy, Jaroslav Kosmina as Vic Hoskins, Victoria as Cantina, Victoria as Guard Laura, Nilas as Guard Bob, and Ross Lane as Henry Wu thank you all, and until the next episode of Extinction Level Jurassic Park.
0: Well, there you have it. That was episode 18 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. That one was called Prevailing Over Obstacles. Um, This one, I like this one a lot. It actually, it featured so much great audio work here. I just loved it, Uh, especially this first scene where... Uh, it's kind of like a change of setting here, a change of scenery, a little bit different than usual. We have, um, we're have we down, at, uh, I guess, at the dock, one of the docks on the island. Um, there's a supply ship there with a bunch of crew unloading engine crates onto the dock. And uh, they're doing their their stuff. They're just kind of paying attention to their work. And off in a the distance, they see uh, Mizrani just like hurtling down in his golf cart towards the dock, ready to get off this island. We've continually heard over and over again that he's got to leave he's got to get out of here and uh, at this point of course we know that there's an incoming threat a potential destruction of this island inbound and Mizrani doesn't know anything about it yet so um but uh he's hurtling down like I said the dock workers are poking fun at him later on he kind of acknowledges how interesting that must have looked but he kind of he gets on board the supply ship and heads towards the mess hall. Um, and then it kind of switches over to the captain of the ship who's in the bridge and uh, he's on a call with the control tower and he seems to be informed as to what's going on. He's already heard about the Navy's message. I guess he got it too and doesn't seem to care. He's just like, uh, it doesn't matter. I think they're bluffing basically. And I'm not gonna bother Mizrani with the message uh, because we're going to be long gone. Who cares? It's bl- it's a bluff. Whatever. They're not going to blow up the island. That's sure. Certain. Sure. I mean, sure. Um, but they begin to pre- uh, prepare for their departure. I don't know why this guy is so sure about them not uh, blowing up the island. Maybe he's like, he's talked to the Navy like way too many times. He's like, they they do this to me every week. They're like, we're going to blow up the island and they don't they don't it's like the the navy who cried wolf or something i don't know but um anyway we're go- we go back into the jungle on sorna with sarah tim and and vikaskin's crew that are out there after their vehicles are trampled now they're all in two vehicles um and their their vehicles are, are not they're not moving they're sitting still because they hear a bunch of roars off in the distance or or you know one uh, roar from a dinosaur single dinosaur i guess and uh who is it uh, sarah is like uh, is that a is that a T-Rex it sounds a little different or something and, and tim's like yeah it does sound like a T-Rex but different so they start moving and they eventually see that um the spinosaurus is there and they're freaked out of course and Hoskins is there, kind of like, he, dude, he is so creepy, man. Like, uh, you know, Yaroslav's really bringing this thing to life, or this character to life, because he's sleazy. You know, like, that's just how he was in Jurassic World. Same thing here. And Hoskins is like, oh, that's uh, Dr. Wu's wonderful new creation. Uh, the Spinosaurus, the thing's roaring like crazy in the background. Hoskins is is pretty positive that it's going crazy due to the unwanted visitors on the island. And of course, the thing smashes right through that giant fence that looks completely impenetrable with like spikes off of it, and it just, it was huge. There's no chance, right, that it could smash through that, but we know, it did, it did it in the movie. Um, but, uh, Vic Hoskins kind of relays that this Spinosaurus is three years old, but the size was due to the growth spurt genes, I guess, that InGen has kind of been placing into these animals to get them to that appropriate size for, you know, the awe and wonder and the spectacle that you want from a theme park. So 18 months and the thing's fully grown, which he makes mention of, which is crazy. And like I always talk about, how do we know... How these dinosaurs are supposed to look like you know everybody's pointing fingers at uh you know the creators and whatnot that they don't look like natural dinosaurs and blah 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 whatever but stuff like this that we have to worry about like you know growth spurts and, and weird genes and other animals and stuff placed into them so of course they're not going to look natural and hoskins made a uh, interesting point that he raised this thing until it got too big and started to get a little too crazy they couldn't kind of contain the thing um, so that's an interesting point and uh, one that I, I, I want to hear more about Hoskins and like what, and I know this is backstory here, but what happened even before this kind of interesting to me. He's like the uh, opposite of Owen in a way, creating this or uh, nurturing this uh, Spinosaurus. But um, from there, one, one of the vehicles kind of stops when the thing breaks through, and the other one continues. It has way less people than it should in the vehicle. I guess most of them got out previously, and they joined the other vehicle. Uh, but in the vehicle, as it's kind of barreling down, is one guy, the driver, who has a plan apparently. He, his plan is to dive out of the vehicle, you know, typical movie stuff diving out rolling he's fine um but the vehicle rolls on towards the spinosaurus um and as we know the spinosaurus like it broke through that fence the kirbys and grant and everybody and eric they just heard like their cell phone ringing and oh you know paint and tile plus or whatever so they're sprinting now towards the aviary building that went up on top of the hill and um so that you know they get inside there the um The guard, like I said, he dives out of the truck. The Spinosaurus is over there, and the car goes towards the Spino. Um, Of course, the Spino does not catch the visitors as they're entering the building. Spino does spot the car, and uh, I guess it kind of stops against the door of the building. Um, But since there are no humans inside the vehicle, this crazy Spinosaurus is really disappointed. He's like, "Eh, I really... I'm hungry. Like, I... I need some food, and there's nobody in this vehicle, so I'm going to get out of here. So it uh, it walks off in disappointment, and they make mention that the Spinosaurus is supposed to be kept on the other side of the island, but they realize that, like, basically there's no containing this thing. It's walking through rivers and deeper parts of the ocean. They just kind of gave up, but it seems like. I don't know. They're just like, all right, uh, whatever, which is weird because... I mean, they've obviously set up camp and, and base here on this island, you know, Jerry's working on trying to save all these dying dinosaurs, and Dr. Wu's doing experiments, and and there's obviously control towers and whatnot, but then we just got this Spinosaurus just doing its thing, like just trampling across this whole whole island. Nobody cares. It, it's a little weird, but um, I don't care. I love the Spinosaurus, and I love the, how it all ties in here, making it this new, wonderful creation. It's so great. Um, but uh, at that point Hoskins is like you know I expect these guys to come right back through the way they came once the Spinosaurus um, gets out of there so they're kind of hunkering down waiting for like Grant and the Kirby's and all that to kind of come through that door again uh, because he's like you know they're not gonna go farther into the aviary there's a lot of half-finished and uh, broken walkways inside nobody would be that dumb right well um, Got bad news for you, Vic. Um, And then we shift back to the worker village where Dr. Wu is testing Raymond's blood and um, I don't know. This was a really quick scene and uh, apparently the blood turned pink under the microscope and there was a lot of needle-like shapes in the blood and uh, I I forget exactly what Dr. Wu said, but he's like, oh, oh no. Like, this is not good. This is... Sounds bad to me. So, you know, I think we've all kind of expected that uh, Raymond is probably going to be a goner pretty soon. But uh, that's it. That was the end of the episode. It was another great episode filled with uh, a lot of new voices, actually, too. So we had um, Garrett, Chris, Richie, and John. Um, All supplying uh, voices, I think all of them, yeah, they were all for like the dock area uh, people and people on the boat. So that was really great to get even more people. This is crazy. You know, Arjun, man, you're you're killing it with, with all these people. Killing it in a good way. So uh, keep it up, dude. I love all this stuff. I love all the music used here. But yeah, that was that was it. And um, Arjun always has these episodes uploaded to YouTube. So make sure to search for Extinction Level there. I have the link in our show notes as well. So make sure you go follow him on Twitter and YouTube. But uh, yeah, so stay tuned. In two weeks time, we're gonna bring you episode 19 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Good job.
1: Don't you mean extinct? Extinct scenes, or scenes that didn't make the cut into Extinction Level. Like most fans, I too dreamed of bringing the full cast back together. The first screenplay started with bringing back Alan, Ali, Ian, Sarah and Lex around one table with John Hammond and the sergeant named Maston, a role that in essence went to Hoskins for Extinction Level. Tim would at that time still be serving in Afghanistan. John Hammond, 19 years old but fit enough, explained to the group that there had been developments on Isla Sorna that worried him. The health of the environment deteriorated. To prove his point, he showed pictures of the island he said were taken from a recon plane, but some of the pictures were taken on the island itself. John explained that keeping the island isolated was a costly business, and that they had arranged flybys, giving wealthy customers a chance to legally see the islands instead of trying to get on the island illegally. John told Alan that his adventure had inspired him to do so. Furthermore, John explained that they'd retaken the village and were arranging their research from there. This enraged Malcolm in a way that we've heard for Sarah in episode 12 of Extinction Level, storming out. To the remaining group, John explained he didn't expect them to come along to the islands, which they made very clear they wouldn't, but instead needed them to talk Henry Wu into joining him, needing Wu's experience on the island to solve the crisis. And John and Wu hadn't ended on good terms. Later, leaving for Sorna, John had two helicopters ready who he'd showed off to the group. The ones he used for the flybys, reading Jurassic Park Safari Flight. Custom painted to match the Ford Explorer's paint job in Jurassic Park. Nostalgic touch, John called it, but to Alan and Ellie it was more like a bad flashback. After they said their goodbyes, Alan and Ellie went into a bar at the airport, which had a television. Showing news of Ian Malcolm going public after John's information, with the volume up, they listened to uh, Ian's comments. What John Hammond is doing is nudging chaos to drastic turns, Ian said, and he continued saying, Maybe not consciously, but that does not make the damage he will cause any less. Life found her way, life chose for the dinosaurs to become extinct, and now life is working her way to correct the mistakes InGen has made before, by recreating their version of the past reporter jumped in here. Which course do you suggest to take here? Kill the dinosaurs? He asked. No, no. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm simply saying that the Hammond Foundation should keep to John Hammond's earlier statement as he put it after the San Diego incident. To step aside and let life take care of this. Even now it seems to mean the death of these creatures. I believe their current situation means they do not belong to this world. We have no idea what can happen in the future while these creatures are kept in this world at all cost which seems to be the naturalistic plan of the Hammond Foundation. Then the footage returned to the Anchorman, saying, What do you think? Should we save the dinos? Or should we end their rule over Indians two islands, Nublar and Sorna? Vote now using the hashtag on screen via our Twitter and Facebook page. Alan looks at Ellie. Great, he says. Add public opinion. This is going to be a circus. Later followed by people taken to the street with banners pro, save the dinosaurs and against in multiple languages creature gehören nicht auf dieser Erde. Noi, l'Humanita, abbiamo l'obbligo di proteggere tutti gli animali. Well, pardon my Italian, but in English these two lines should read these creatures do not belong on this earth, and we humanity have the obligation to protect all animals. I even found the title of Colin Straver's 2012 movie fitting, Safety Not Guaranteed. This social media attention and the discovery of washed-up dinosaurs would be the cause for the government to finally admit that John Hammond had his shot, but that it was time to step in. Listen.
0: Copies! I read your book. So? I got turned around here! What's hiding? Is this a better
5: <laughs> Yeah.
4: Did you read Malcolm's book?
0: You don't want to know.
4: And I appreciate that.
5: And then my teacher told me about this other book by running Backer, and he. Well, it's great. Mommy! Daddy, you've got to come see this! I found something! Raya! When he and Jen went out, they left a lot of stuff behind. Dessert? Sure. This is
1: T-Rex P. I read both of your books. Well, oh, that's two things that we have in common. <laughs>
3: Hi guys, and welcome to the Missing Copies segment. I'm your host, Justin Kylie, and I'll be joined a little bit later on in this segment by my co-host and good friend, Mike the But before we get to that, and before we get to what I want to talk about, there's just some little housekeeping things I want to do. Um, it occurred to me that on the other episode, or segment, whatever you want to call it, I didn't actually say why this segment was called the Missing Copies, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because it, it does matter, and it's, eh, it's fun. So, what happened is, I actually talked to my wife about the idea of this segment, and I couldn't come up with a good name for it, I kind of told her what I was trying to do with it, and I told her, I was like, you know, just think of a name, you're good at that kind of thing, and she totally came up with a name. So I wanted to go over what that name means, and then what this segment is kind of aimed at, and then we'll get on to our other topics for today's segment. So basically, the Missing Comp is a play on words, it, it's two things. Uh, It stands for the Missing Comparisons, that was the first thought I had, and that's, what I mean by that is, it's the missing comparisons from the amazing film series of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World to the amazing novel written by Michael Crichton. There's really no one talking about this, I mean, not even in the media, and with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out and getting so much backlash in the media for being too silly or too crazy, even though they're pulling a ton of stuff from the Michael Crichton novels, like that annoyed me. So I thought, well, somebody should, you know, talk about that. And then of course I listened to the podcast and I know that Brad uh, and Jennifer get um, questions in the mailbag all the time about certain things from the book. And so I thought it would be a really fun thing to really compare all the films to both novels, Michael Crane's Jurassic Park and of course The Lost World. So that was the first part of where the name came from. The other part was actually just a plot point that they got rid of for the first Jurassic Park film, a plot point I really liked and I really wanted to talk about and it, it's the missing Procom Um so the missing copies and what I mean by that is that that ant dinosaur, and I think it's a fan favorite, showed up in The Lost World and definitely did some carnage that animal was a huge part of Michael Crichton's original Jurassic Park novel and a huge plot point and so I thought it would, you know, it's kind of worked. I mean, the Missing Comparisons, the Missing Compies, right? You know, comps like So that's why it's called the Missing Compi's. And what I'd like to do in this segment is basically really break down Michael Crane's original novels with all four films and, of course, soon to be five. I have lots of ideas for segments. And then, of course, if you guys want to write in, I'm sure Brad Joes can forward those to me or tell you where to reach uh, the other podcast I'm on. So however you guys want to do it, Um, but I hope you enjoy this segment. It means a lot to me. Um, I've been a Jurassic Park fan as long as I can remember. I saw the film when I was very young, and it it scared the crap out of me, and I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys, and hopefully I can get a couple of you that maybe haven't read the books to read the books, because they are really, really different, and they do fill in a lot of the plot holes that are in all the films, um, even the newest one. So if you, you know, you you want that background, the books are a really good way to do that. And they're just really good reads. Um, And actually, speaking of that, real quick, before I go any further, um, I love all the movies, like, with a true passion, like all of you. Um, I love some of them more than other ones, but they're still, like, all four. I just, I love them all, including Jurassic Park 3, the had a stepchild for some reason. Um, But we are going to talk about the books. And, of course, we're going to kind of critique the movies a little bit because... There's stuff in the books that is either just plain better or just so different that it you know, it's stuff we'll talk about. But if we ever sound like we're like trashing Jurassic Park or any of these films, we're not. We're just talking, you know, uh, generally with a drink in hand, and we're just talking about these movies that mean so much to us. So please don't send a hate mail. We love Jurassic Park, we love them all. There's you know, the first one is a masterpiece. I've seen it probably a hundred times. I've probably seen the other ones at least 50. I don't know. I've seen them all a lot. So just, again, you know, we're not trashing the movies. We are simply critiquing them and probably going to talk about some of the potholes and weird things that happen in them and then how that relates to stuff that happens in the book, which either will explain that or we'll just talk about why they didn't do it like the book because there's a couple cases where I think they should have. Let's get into today's segment. Oh, and before I forget... um, my wife is actually probably going to be doing an intro for us, so if you're wondering why the intro changes like back and forth, it's probably because of the order I've gotten these out to Brad. Um, and you know, this is our first time me and Mike doing this, so just bear with us. These first couple segments are probably going to be a little rough, and you know, the sound quality is something we're definitely working on. So just bear with us on that. All right, well, let's get into this segment. So I'm going to try and do this alone, uh, so bear with me. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but we'll see. And then after that, Mike Petrike's going to join in. We're going to discuss some things together. So I hope you enjoy the show, and here we go. The first thing I wanted to kind of talk about was the idea of geothermal power. Now, this is something that the film series so far has really barely mentioned, if at all. There was a kind of throwaway line in Lost World film by Peter Ludlow, where he says Hammond ran everything on geothermal power. And that's about it. Um, Island Nublar has never really been shown to be volcanic in the films, and Sorna really hasn't either, although Sorna does look a little bit closer um, to what I always thought of from what the book described as far as what the uh, island kind of looked like. But again, it it really hasn't been shown. But in the books, um, it's much more blatant. And basically... um, when they're approaching the island, the whole island is described as a volcanic, rocky place, very rugged, very mountainous. Uh, there, It's always covered in mist and smoke because of all the geothermal activity and the vents that are constantly pumping that out. And so, obviously, they haven't shown any of this in the films, and I think it's kind of hurting them because one of the big things I'm seeing from media is just how... Silly this idea is. Now, I don't know if they're going to address the geothermal power in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I'm kind of hoping they do because it would be neat to see. There is that shot in the trailer where the baryonyx comes out of that tube. I'm not fully convinced that that's the geothermal power plant. Uh, it is clearly underground, and given the lava, I'm thinking it's pretty close to the volcano. But... If you pause the image uh, on that video, that the behind the scenes video, at 1 minute 19 seconds and you look in the left corner, there's a bank of computer monitors. Um, but it does look like it could be under a mountain, so actually maybe it is the geothermal power plant, but I know some people said it's the gyrosphere valley launch station, which I'm not sure I buy either, but I guess it's possible it is a giant round tube. But, yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up because all this backlash about how silly this is also made me think of, you know, real world examples of where we've built volcanoes. And a really obvious one kind of popped into my head. It's called Hawaii. And I don't really understand why nobody in the media is mentioning this. I mean, we have built many cities close to or right on top of volcanoes. And until those volcanoes explode, nobody really cares. So... I don't think it's weird or silly or stupid at all that they would have built Jurassic Park on these islands especially if they are volcanic and they're using geothermal power it makes a lot of sense a volcano would be very good for that and it really is in line with the book and the other thing I wanted to comment on was the idea that this is just transformers with dinosaurs I know some people have been kinda saying that because of the explosions and again to pull back to the book you know the first michael Crichton novel ends with the costa rican government firebombing the entire island so the island island nublar does get destroyed by fire in the book so again jurassic world fallen kingdom is pulling from the book i think to kind of you know give us this fiery end to the island and although it's not being carpet bombed, it is a volcano. And I mean, between the two, I think the volcano is a little cooler than just seeing a bunch of planes carpet bomb the island like they do in the book. Moving on from that, the other thing I wanted to talk about that popped up in the recent trailers uh, that is directly from the books and gives me a lot of hope that the movie is gonna pull is gonna pull more stuff from the books. It's little baby blue. Now, in the book there's no blue, Uh, the Velociraptors are nothing more than killing machines. In fact, they're pretty much the equivalent to Jaws, um, or I suppose in the first film too. There's really not much personality there. But they do have a scene, and it actually happens very early on in the visitor center, and it's something I always wanted to see in the film, and of course they never did. Uh, In the original Jurassic Park film, as you all know, we get the infant velociraptor. It's like just out of the egg, and Grant's kind of holding it. And then we hear the scream, and the camera cuts to the adult pen. Um, In the book, it's a little different. When Tim is, when they're getting the tour, basically, it's a walk-in tour. They're being led around the visitor center by a gentleman named Ed Regis, not John Hammond. John Hammond is actually pretty hands-off in the book as far as the tour goes. Also Wu, I think, gives them a bit of a tour. And it's Wu that takes the main characters from the film and then into the nursery. And the nursery is described as a circular room all white with incubators like a hospital room and toys all about. And in that room there's a woman who's watching a baby velociraptor. Uh, the bossard in the book's a little smaller than what we're seeing in the clip for the film. It's only described as a foot and a half long. Uh, they say it's six weeks old. Now, I assume from the trailer that Blue Baby Blue is a bit older than that. I mean, I don't a measuring tape, but she looks like she's maybe three feet long. Uh, she also has teeth, and in the book, the little baby one does not have teeth yet. Uh, they haven't grown in. But one thing I have heard some people kind of commented on and saying, you know, why is it doing this, this is silly and stupid, is in the trailer when Owen rubs uh, its chin, and you can kind of hear the little blue making like clicking noises or purring noises. Yeah, that's straight out of the book. Uh, In the book, the little baby raptor actually jumps over the girl's head who's watching it and into uh, Tim's arms. And it proceeds to rub its head right into his neck, and while it's doing that, it kind of makes these little purring noises. It's kind of, you almost get the idea it's like a cat. And yeah, it's a cool scene, and it's something that you know the first film couldn't do because at the time they just didn't have the technology to possibly do that. I mean, C.J. was just coming up, it would have been too expensive. Um, I don't think it was ever even storyboarded but obviously now with technology we can actually do that and so I really like seeing that that scene was in the trailer obviously the room is different I couldn't tell you where that is I know some people have been speculating it's the visitor center I actually think it might be the visitor center I just don't think it's in the room with the mural with the raptor on it I think it's in the building but in a spot we've probably never seen in the films I mean they did the same thing with the garage in Jurassic World which was attached, and we have never saw that in the film, although it was mentioned in the book. Actually, in the book, it was a, a much larger garage. It held all the Explorer vehicles and the two gas-powered Jeeps. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's an exciting thing for uh, us book fans to, you know, finally see some of this stuff come into life, and it just makes me think of the fact that even 25 years later and now five film or no, four films in with a fifth coming out, they're still pulling most of their material from the first book in the series. I just can't believe they're still pulling out of that book. And Jurassic World had a lot of scenes that were inspired by scenes either in the first novel or in the Lost World novel because the Lost World film is absolutely nothing like the book in any shape, way, or form. Uh, But it is a really great novel, and actually, I'm probably going to get some hate for this, I much prefer Michael Crichton's The Lost World novel to the film that was based on it, mainly because the film wasn't based on it. There's only one scene in that entire movie that comes from that novel and it is the trailers going over the cliff. Although in the book they do not fall down to the water, they just fall down a steep cliff and nail the ground and then crumple up like a tin can so it's still pretty different even that scene Uh, but most of the scenes in that book have never really made it into the film or if they have they're all in Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic World so it's kind of a cool thing if you're uh, you know into seeing where they get their ideas for these movies this is a lot harder to do when you're just by yourself alright well um, Coming up next here, I'm going to actually be joined by my co-host and good friend Mike the Trike, and we're going to talk about something else in this segment, which I've always been fascinated by, and I hope you guys find interesting to listen to, which is the difference in the film to the book, and basically the level of violence. Um, you know, the, the first movie definitely had some horrific stuff in it, but it is nothing compared to what's in the book. And I thought it would be fun to kind of look at that and really dissect, you know, I don't want to say the kills, but, you know, the kills that are in the book. And, you know, in the book, I think the dinosaurs are actually far scarier because of the reality of it. Um, You know, the film's got its dark moments, but, you know, it's a PG-13 movie. It's not rated R, and that's good from a standpoint of, you know, making a lot of money and we all got to see it at such a young age. Uh, but you know it'd be interesting to see what would have happened if they would have done a much more faithful adaptation of the book and kinda gotten that tone a little bit closer so I'm gonna bring my buddy Mike in and we're gonna kinda talk about that and we're just gonna go over two scenes um, or two sequences and they're actually both sequences that appear in one way or another in one of the four films so we'll break that down and hopefully you'll enjoy oh and speaking of a devil here's Mike walking in. Why don't you say hi, Mike? What's going on? Hey, Mike. Okay, so we're talking about the tone of a Jurassic Park book versus the film. So you're only... How many chapters in are you now, Mike? Uh, 17? Yeah, I think that's, that's about right. All right, so we're going to be talking about two key sequences from the book and kind of how graphic they are compared to the films. Now, what's what's the most graphic thing in the films that you can remember? The most graphic death, I guess. We are talking about like death here. Um, yeah, you know. It's hard because really are not that. I was going to say, really nothing's really that like, like, graphic.
2: I mean, you can't go too far with PG-13. Okay. Um, I don't know if anyone is more graphic than another.
3: How, about, uh, how about Eddie getting his body ripped in half by two T-Rexes in the Lost World? And torn in half like a chicken. Oh,
2: uh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't remember that one.
3: Yeah, it's a pretty good one, actually. I really enjoy that. <laughs> um, sucks for Eddie, though. Nah. But no <laughs> All right, well, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, I found an article on Collider. And I just got to pull it up, guys. Bear with me here. All right, so I found this article on Collider, and it was uh, James Cameron talking, uh, I guess, a Titanic. I'm assuming it was for the Titanic Blu-ray that came out a couple years back. And he basically let slip that he was trying to get the rights for Jurassic Park. Now, Spielberg beat him to it, but only by a couple hours, and um, I'm going to try and read this quote here, and then we'll discuss it. So his quote is, but when I saw the film, I realized that I was not the right person to make the film. He was, because he made a dinosaur movie for kids, and mine would have been Aliens with Dinosaurs, and that would not have been fair. Dinosaurs are for eight year olds, we can all enjoy it too, but kids get dinosaurs and they should not have been excluded for that. His sensibility was right for that film. I'd have gone further nastier, much nastier." So that's James Cameron's quote and it kind of got me thinking about this and the two scenes from the book that we're going to talk about because they both exist in the films but they're nowhere near as graphic um, and they, I don't know, we'll, we'll decide which one's better. So, Mike, do you remember the uh, the raptor sequence in the book and how it opens up? The well, well, I mean, the, okay, you're right. I'm <laughs> there's sorry. no raptors involved yeah, in the no, book yet. No, you're right. How, the, the kid, the body, <clears throat> the kid. But, yeah, the kid.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, comes into the hospital, um, pretty much just mangled. Yeah, mauled. <laughs> Ma- yeah, sorry, mauled. Um, gaping wounds. Yeah, down um, to the bone. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's described in great detail. He's he's cut up. It looks like he went nine rounds with Freddy Krueger. I mean, he's just <laughs> sliced up. He's covered in drool and slime, um, you know, and his his death is pretty, pretty crazy. You remember how he dies?
2: Um, yeah, convulsing on the floor as he uh, vomits up blood and... Everything.
3: Yeah, it's it's a scene straight out of a horror movie. I mean he yeah, he explosively vomits blood I think all over the doctor and uh and the the doctor's like nurse dude. And uh, yeah, it's a graphic scene and um it's you know, it's paralleled in the movie we have the Raptor with the Cage and of course uh you know it's a famous scene where you've uh forget his name, I think it's like oh man, what's his name? Do you remember what the guy's name was at list the gate? Joffrey. Right? No, that's uh, Game I of I
1: think
3: off uh, of All right. Well, the guy, someone's probably out there knows what that guy's name is, but um, guy that raises the gate, you know, the Raptor runs, and by running, I, uh, I always got the feeling, I guess it ran so quickly that it pushed the gate back and overrode the locking mechanisms, and he gets like, what, how would you call that? He gets sucked into it. Yeah, that's pretty much. How it, I, looked. it
2: that's how it looked.
3: It's a cool scene. I don't. I always have a lot of questions with that scene. I just don't know how or what that raptor was doing to get that guy about ten feet into the air. And it's just, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, yeah, he down. goes down, like, up and down. <laughs> I always think of it as reverse Jaws, where his jaws on the water, she goes left <laughs> to right. He's up, you know, going vertical up and down. It's it's a cool scene, but I'd have to give the edge to the book. I even though you don't see the raptor. In the book, you see the damage that that animal can do, and I think that's actually um, scary. To me, that's scarier. I oh, mean, yeah. I'm not a huge blood and guts gore hound, but I like that in the book. You really see like this is an animal that's designed to to tear flesh, and you know, and it does it effectively. And I I like that. If you know, Cameron's saying he's gonna probably make it nastier, and you know, aliens with dinosaurs. I mean, I think Cameron. I take that as he would have probably done something that's more in line with that, rather than what Spielberg did, which was kind of again the Jaws thing of you don't show anything until halfway through the movie. I mean, in that scene, you see I think it's eyeball, which is creepy. <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's creepy. It's it's an awesome scene, but it's just yeah. I don't. It doesn't have a gut punch. But I think the the book, like you open a movie with uh, a young kid just cut to pieces, exploding blood. I mean, it would have... <laughs> it would have set a different tone, and that that's oh, something... For sure. Like, you're not that far in the book, but the book has a very different tone. Oh, yeah. Than, than the movie. Like, the movie is very, like, ooh-ah. Uh, and I think the book starts more with just, you know, oh, God, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I thought that was kind of something to talk about. <laughs> Excuse me. And then we got the other scene I wanted to talk about, which is... Um, something that they they kind of stole and put into the Lost World film, and that would be the uh, copies, and it's part of a whole plotline that they dropped for the film. But it's a huge part of the first book, and it's it's actually where our segment and podcast gets its name, the missing copies, because they were totally missing from Jurassic Park, but they all showed up in the Lost World. Um, Mike, do you remember that scene? Um oh, I'm sorry. Which I should be, particular I, yeah, one? Because there's I actually be specific. two. Uh, no, yeah, the the girl <laughs> attack is pretty close actually, like violence wise or like a graphic wise. The only difference I mean there's differences, but there's one copy that bites are not uh like a mosh pit, like <laughs> in a film. Uh yeah but I mean they're poisonous. Supposedly. Oh, trust me, they are. Uh, they're they're, they're there's a whole plot point we're gonna to get to with uh, with that and how the Lost World didn't bother to mention that they were poisonous and had a guy fall over a tree and drown slash get eaten because he was tired. That's, that sounds wonderful. You don't remember that when uh, Dieter Stark? Oh. Remember he's yeah. like running in the river? That okay. scene makes a lot more sense <laughs> if you realize that they are poison and every time they bite him, they're injecting more and more poison. So by the time he gets to a log, that- he is done. But it if does you, make more sense. Yeah, if you take out the poison,
2: I, I did have a problem with that I, scene. Yeah, I did too. I love the blood
3: though. <laughs> blood in the river—that was a cool, fact. But yeah, I always had a problem with that. I never understood why he like falls over and just—that's a yeah. Like I don't care how tired you are, you're gonna try oh, and yeah. do a little more than that. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I'm, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that scene at some point. <laughs> but no, I was talking about the um, the poor uh, midwife uh, that oh, walks, and yeah. she's in the they're in the <laughs> hospital on Costa Rica. And she walks into the, the dark the baby's room, yeah, nursery, right. and then Mike, wanted, you know what happens. You can do this part. Um, well, she uh, goes in, the lights
2: are off, initially. And it's a she, horror movie. <laughs> it really is a horror <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, she sees some figures moving in there. Um, she thinks they're birds. And yeah, she thinks they're birds because she heard the little chirping mm-hmm. from the next room. And
3: uh, I guess birds are known to uh, fly in the windows there. That's so, actually, yeah, that makes me want. Well, I suppose though it is free because I don't. They probably just leave their windows open twenty four hours a day. I would assume so, unless they got air conditioning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So,
2: uh, yeah. So she just assumes you know there's birds in there. So, uh, but when she opens the door,
3: she sees some three. Uh,
2: I think it was three, three or four. It's
3: three-toed. Yeah, bloody three-toed tracks. Yeah. I believe they were covered in blood. I
2: don't. She didn't see the tracks or anything right away. It was dark.
3: Well, whatever. I think eventually <laughs> they. No, eventually, though, she does see them, right? Well, yeah. yeah. But I'm um, I just saying. Yes. No, my bad. Yes. All dinosaurs that were theropods had three toes. Way to go. Hey, we've got to learn something on this podcast. <laughs> Come on.
2: But, uh, yeah. Um, opens the door, sees the figures. Wasn't sure what. And uh, turns the lights on. Or, no, she doesn't turn the lights on. She never on. does, no. No, she, she, uh, she scares them off.
3: Yeah, that's after she. F- basically she sees she finally figures out there's oh, a lizard yeah, yeah. and it's like it's like on a crib and it's on the back i always imagine it's in the back part of the crib and it ducks its head down and it brings its head up and there's a piece of i think it's described as ragged flesh in yeah. its mouth which is again lost world kind of similar <laughs> to what happened to Dieter stark when he's got that copy and he rips it off his lip it's <laughs> The same type of idea, except it's a baby, and they do a lot more than just rip its lip. And there's, like, yeah, there's three or four of them. Yeah. She kind of scares them out, and they leave the... I think it ends with the... I skipped ahead. I think it ends with, like, I'm saying bloody tracks out the window. And they had three toes. Yeah, but I mean, you get the idea that the the baby's face has basically just been
2: <laughs> completely eaten off.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty gross scene. And like I said, it's like a horror movie. You know, don't turn the light on and <laughs> it's dark. I it think it's raining. And yeah, in sure fact, she might see them in a flash of lightning. I I don't know. We just read. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> take notes on the, the weather conditions in that scene. <laughs> but uh yeah, so. I mean, those are the two scenes we're at so far, and obviously there's a lot more. Down the line, I, I think in one of these segments, I'm going to do a uh, every character death in Jurassic Park, and then we'll compare the death to the film, who lives, who died, and then how, because those are, those are pretty interesting. But going back real quick to James Cameron and what I'm assuming would have been an R-rated movie, Mike, would you want to see an R-rated Jurassic Park? Like, let's say 10 years from now, we all love Jurassic Park, so before I get the hate mail... But let's say 10, 20 years from now, Jurassic World 3 is, you know, that, that series is done. We know it's going to happen. They're going to okay, how do we reboot Jurassic Park? And somebody says, let's do the book and let's do it right. Let's make it R-rated. Is that something like, if they came out and said, hey, we're going to do a super violent adult Jurassic Park, would that be something you'd be like, hey, you know, oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it. Do I think they'd do it? No. And ask that. They'll never no. do it. Because the never do the it. money's not there. Well no, and that's why even if he did get the rights, like he might have done a director's cut that would have been like nastier and R-rated, but I don't think they'd ever have been able to do a theatrical R rated Jurassic Park. Unless Then again I shouldn't say that. Cameron's done incredible visual effects movies and they're all R-rated for the most part. Avatars, so yeah, maybe you could have done it. I, I don't know. The
2: demographic Jurassic Park already includes kids.
3: Yeah, but I, okay, I know. So but this is, I mean, you're, you're gonna be cutting
2: a huge part, you know. Yeah, you are.
3: No, so I, I, I just
2: don't, I don't think the money would be there to do it.
3: Well, you know what? In my alternate reality, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, somewhere in one of those parallel uh, Again, I'd love to see it. Okay, well, I'm not that's, saying okay.
2: I don't even see it.
3: That's what I asked. Yes, I agree. It'll <laughs> never happen, but okay, so you would like to see it, though.
2: Yeah, for sure.
3: Okay, well, that was, was, you know, not everyone probably wants to see that. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this podcast right now that don't want an R-rated Jurassic Park because they're only used to the film, and I'm used to the novel. I love the film, but I've always wanted to see the dinosaurs be a bit scarier and a bit more animalistic. You know, I mean, I think the closest we get is probably in the first film is Muldoon's death. Which is covered by a bush.
2: Yeah. But you don't really see anything. No.
3: But that was like the best death because it, it did look like horrifying. Yeah. Because, you know, like, Jennaro's death is kind of more funny, even. Like, you're not really scared because it's, it's <laughs> comical.
2: Yeah. And it's it really, it's really
3: weird. Like, it's played for laughs and it's, you know, going. If you watch it, it's just like, oh, it's awesome because it's a T Rex. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of a jokey scene. Well, yeah. I mean. And. You don't see Arnold, you just see what's left of his arm. So I mean, it, there's no death there. It's not Yeah. yeah it's scary, but it's kind of anticlimactic. And I mean, I always wanted to see Arnold uh like do I always figured there was a well there's a deleted scene there cuz originally they were going to have him um be chased by one of the raptors and attacked outside and then the hurricane hit and so they couldn't get Samuel Jackson to get back out on the oh, it's Hawaii, so I had to cut it. That's why they have that arm there. Oh, it okay. also explains why that makes no sense, that there's just a random arm behind the door, which I always wondered about. <laughs> uh, I was just like, I don't understand. Is there, like, a locked closet back there? And then it's, you know? I mean, it's just... Well, it's just, like, the raptor itself. How, why is it behind those... Yeah, but that pla- one I could buy more, because we don't know what's behind there. Maybe there is an alcove. But his arm literally just seems to kind of pop out of a wall. And I think there's a door, but I, I don't know. I... You know, I've seen the movie at least 300 times, and I, I don't think I've ever been able to explain that scene to me.
2: No, it doesn't, just, it, it just it doesn't, doesn't really make, make a whole lot sense. sense. No,
3: it's an awesome scene, but it, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't work for me. Um, but we're totally getting off on a tangent. You know what? Eventually, we have got to do like top 10 WTF moments of each movie, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's definitely 10 moments in each film that I can pull for a WTF video. Um. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but all right. I guess. Uh, I guess that's that's pretty much. It. You got anything else to say on an R-rated Jurassic or those two scenes? No, I think you uh, pretty much covered everything. All right. Well, then this is uh, Justin Kylie, Mike the Trick, and we are signing off.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 141 of the Jurassic Park podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Arjun for episode 18 of Extinction Level. I know I say this every time, but I love his work here and uh, all the film and book tie-ins. I think it really bridges the gap so well between the past and the present, and it actually makes me think differently about what happened behind the scenes in all these films. I don't know if that does the same thing for you, but uh if you guys know anybody who's not listening to this segment or listening to his stuff on youtube let them know that they are seriously missing out also thanks to justin Kylie and mike the trike for a great deep dive into all things jurassic park on paper i am so excited to hear more from justin and co um on how these books differentiate and just all the the little details that maybe the films missed out on i think I just think it's all so interesting to hear about and i hope you guys do too also thanks to aaron i guess aaron buyer for 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 butting in on my news segment this week i mean it was a nice surprise but uh I, i had it aaron but you know if you want to join that's fine that's good i'm good with it and i hope you guys enjoyed our chat on uh the upcoming jurassic world apps and uh maybe maybe aaron will butt in again sometime soon if you want to interact with us we do most of our work over on twitter at Jurassic Park pod we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park podcast and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park podcast you can listen to us via iTunes Google Play Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a 5-star review in iTunes, or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life, uh, finds a way. Five minutes. Drop what
2: you're
4: doing and leave now.